0: Listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry.
1: One of our sponsors of the Dairy Voice podcast is National DHIA. NDHIA ensures information accuracy and represents their members' interests. They are the direct voice for the dairy information industry. To find out more, go to DHIA.org. We're delighted to welcome a dairy farmer from the state of Maine. our Dairy Voice episode today, our first guest from the Pine Tree State. Joining us is Jenny Tilton Flood, who dairies with her husband and his family near Clinton, Maine, which is about 90 miles north and, and a bit east of Portland, the largest city in the state. I have to say that Jenny and I have not met in person, but I learned about her on Twitter. She's articulate, funny, and straightforward, talking about cows, dairy, consumers and life on the farm and in our larger society. We had a phone call and she graciously agreed to join us here. Jenny Tilton-Flood, welcome to Dairy Voice.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's It was a pleasure speaking to you earlier and I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Well thanks so much.
1: Why don't we get started by having you tell us a little bit about uh, the fact that you grew up in a small town and near agriculture and involved with ag but not not on a farm. Tell us about that.
0: Well I you know, people always seem to talk about a rural-urban divide and, and that gap, and I, I feel like I grew up straddling that gap. I was the first generation on both sides of my family that wasn't born and raised on a farm, um, but my dad was the John Deere guy um, in the area, so I spent a lot of times, um, a lot of Sundays delivering parts with him, going on the road with him on his calls. Or at the shop behind the parts counter, that sort of thing. And uh, I uh the, the smell of farms and the life of farms is not something that I wasn't familiar with. It wasn't my day-to-day, but uh I think I had a a little bit more connection to it than a lot of people of my generation have had as we've transitioned to a to a more urban society here in the United States. So I I, I think that that helped me keep one foot really in the soil and one on the pavement for a long period of time.
1: And we'll talk about how that has uh, informed your points of view and your use of social media, but we'll, we'll come to that a little bit later. You got for a dairy person or a small town person, and I'm a small town person, but you got what you might consider a little bit different sort of education and and uh, were headed in a different direction before you got involved in farming. Just, to, just give us a quick word about your, your college activities.
0: Well, I, I was one of those people that grew up in a very small town and just couldn't wait to get out. That was my goal. I wanted to leave, leave it all behind. I wanted to go off and feed the world. And I went to university and studied comparative foreign policy and international relations. I loved it. And I had these dreams of going to far flung places and and helping to make sure that people had food to eat and knew how to grow food and then i realized that what i really wanted above all else was to come back home put some roots down and feed my corner of the world and so i thought that this is what i'm going to do and my dad was you know still the equipment guy and i thought that i could find a way to make it all work back home and so i had a cunning plan and that's what I thought would happen. It, it is what happened, but it did not at all go according to my plan. But I think that's that's one of the the most um, normal stories ever. Things didn't go according to plan, but they turned out just the way they were supposed to.
1: <laughs> well, tell us now about uh, the family you married into and and uh, who's involved and, and your own children, who all's involved in Blood Farm.
0: Oh, great. Yeah. So, you know, um, I ended up uh, delivering parts to one of the one of the farmers that was a customer of my dad's for a long time, uh, the Flood family. As a matter of fact, my dad had sold my now husband's grandfather, their very first John Deere back in the late 70s, a 4440 that has turned over, I think it's on its third ter- trip around, um, four generations have driven it, um, and they haven't been able to, to end its life yet. They've tried really hard, but nothing runs like a deer. So uh, but the family right now, we are three generations, six families, 21 family members, 11 of whom are employed at the farm. And we steward close to 5,000 acres of owned and rented land that we use for crops to raise for our cows. And along with 30 co-workers, we take care of 3,100 cows, 1,440 of which we milk every single day. And we produce about 16,000 gallons of milk every single day to go on our neighbor's tables. And we've been doing on land that our farm family has been on for hundreds of years. You know, we're, we're really proud of the fact that from the moment that the floods first came to this country and the flood family first came to this land, that they've been on this particular corner of the earth. Um, but we, we do acknowledge that we are charged with caring for land that was stolen from someone else. And because our history started here, we know someone else's history ended. So we're mindful of that as well here in central Maine, along the banks of the Kennebec. It's, a, it's an important distinction we like to make and remember and as we make plans for the future.
1: Well, tell us a little bit about the farmstead. How you house your cattle, maybe the cropping program, feeding programs. Just give us a flavor here.
0: Yeah, so we're primarily black and white Holsteins. Um, and we have around, right, today we milked right around 1,443 cows. And then we have another 1,550 or so heifers, and dry cows and calves. Our calves are, you know, kept in hutches right now. We like giving them their own space. And our fresh cows and our dry pack, um, both the heifer and the the cows are are in a pack situation but our milk cows are all in freestyle barns bedded currently with sand uh, we found that that's that's worked out really best for our cows it's it's uh it's not worked out best for our machinery and our sanity but you know right now that's that's what the cows are getting and we're hoping to make some transitions down the road on our bedding and our ability to manage that as we make other changes here we milk in a hundred stall the Laval rotary parlor we have a throughput of about 400 cows an hour. We milk three times a day. Um, each milking is a little less than four hours. So the shifts are very much compatible with a, with a good schedule and, and the people we work with are able to design a schedule that works well for them. We're able to make it work with our cropping situation as well. We do our own planting and harvesting. You know, we, we do try and make sure that there's always somebody somewhere you know, in the family. And with 11 of us here at the farm, it's it's almost a little easier sometimes, but it is, we still run into the same situation of, of trying to be in more than one place at once. And our farm is proud farm family member owner of the Cabot Creamy Cooperative and AgriMart. And our milk uh, gets marketed to HP Hood right down in Portland, which is about 75 miles south of us. So within 24 hours 48 it's on the tables of our neighbors and on store shelves um, whether it be the brand name or in the many private labels for the local stores here in the state.
1: Is uh, shipping to Cabot uh, a flood family tradition?
0: Actually no, we are fairly new to the co-op. We had been uh, independently contracted to another dairy processor in the state up until the early 90s, and then we became a part of the Agrimark Co-op. But it has been, uh, you know, since the early 90s, we've had a whole slew of, of family born. Um, we've added an extra generation on since that time. So uh, that's, uh, you know, they, they've, they uh, our youngest generation has always been Cabot farmers. So, and and I've got two of that next generation. My daughter is 22 and a first-year vet student at Cornell Vet School and my son will be 21 in a few days. He is a full-time member of our farm here so I'm really proud of uh, some of our young farmers within our co-op especially the ones that I'm related to.
1: I've noticed uh, and I've seen in your background material that uh, you have you've been one of the Cabot farmers who are active in reaching out to the public. Talk a little bit about that activity.
0: I had not um, been prepared um, or familiar with. I've never been a part of the the 4 H programs or FFA or YC programs until I was, let's just say, no longer a YC age type person. So I wasn't really prepared for um, the outreach that our co-op and brand does. And when I was able to start working with our co-op and was empowered by them to express our gratitude to our our consumers and customers and to get to know the people that we depend upon so much to make sure that milk moves in its many different forms. I I really jumped at the chance and it's been really amazing to be able to be given, you know, encouragement and resources to step out of comfort zones and and speak up and be proud and be able to say, this is this is our farm, this is our way of life, this is the way we make our living. We are really grateful that that we're part of our communities and here have some cheese and thank you. You know that's that's always been really great. Whether it's been on social media, whether it's sharing um, farm love on social media or in real life, delivering cheese to fire departments or to teachers to thank them on appreciation days, uh, visiting the New York City just so that we can put a face to the people that you know buy our products and so that they can put a face to the farmers that raise. The food and take care of the cows and the land. Um, it's just been really amazing. And again, I, you know, like that whole background of having one foot on pavement and one in the soil. It just it seemed natural for me. I, I have no problem talking about cows on the on the number two train in New York City. Really don't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, when you got involved in that sort of outreach, is that when you uh, became active on social media, or had you been a, a social media user well before
0: that? I had been on social media before that. I had, you know, I, but I had used it for my, my own purposes. I didn't realize that my own purposes was advocacy at the time. I was just very proud. I had more time on my hands. I was transitioning to less work off the farm. I'm just sharing what I do every day and it was an important lesson for me as people reached out and i started connecting with the the people within our co-op who are so wonderful at at giving us tools and giving us encouragement to pe- to other farmers throughout the, the not just my co-op but the world who were using the the power of communication to to bridge gaps and to sell their product and to and to make connections you know i i just uh It was amazing to harness that power and and make use of it. Can you guess which protein source has an amino acid profile most like rumen microbial protein? If you guessed canola meal, you are correct. It is an almost perfect protein source to meet the needs of lactating cows. And cows love the stuff. Remember to keep canola meal in mind for the dairy business upcoming protein survey.
1: You've also become involved in uh, dairy promotion work, too, uh, I understand. Talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so I was really surprised. I, I did not know much about the industry that, that feeds me, basically. I was just, you know, neck deep in work, you know, both on the farm and off the farm, family and all that. And, and I was approached and asked to, to become a member of the, our state dairy promotion board, which is our state checkoff organization. Um, almost, I think it was ten years ago, and I really started to learn a lot. Uh, a lot of stuff that I'd taken for granted, a lot of stuff I didn't know. And at first, I thought it was going to be getting a backseat, you know, back, back backstage pass to seeing how sausage was made, and it would I would not be happy. But in reality, what I got to see was this is how things are done and it and it was amazing to me that farmers would sit around a table and discuss how best to promote how best to to focus money how best to research how best to communicate and because it's at a local level at the state level we were able to we know our neighbors we know our our audience we know our customers and and we know what works for us and having, you know, learning about the connections to the national level, whether it's National Dairy Board or UDIA, um, you know, Dairy Industry Association and the combined DMI board, you know, agreeing with them sometimes, sometimes saying this doesn't work for us. Um, and, and making changes, that became a very eye-opening and learning experience for me. And um, a few years ago, I was honored to be elected from my, my board and peers to become the director to represent our board on UDIA and therefore on the DMI board at the national level. And I have uh, really, really enjoyed the ability to meet farmers from all over the country and meet the staff and the people who work so hard, whether they're RDs or they're researchers or they're, you know, they're amazingly committed employees and, and policymakers that work for our checkoff organizations. Um, and probably one of the best benefits I've had is the ability to dissent and discuss and, and disagree with people on behalf of what I feel is best for Dairy overall, what I feel is best for my state, what I feel is best for the people I represent. I, and what I feel is is best period, and I think that the mechanism that Chekhov allows that type of discussion has been uh, formative for me, and I've gained a lot from it, and I do appreciate it, and I, and I have I very much appreciate the changes and flexibility that that our organization has made over the past 10 years that I've been involved and really really changed with our society, our industry and and looking forward as opposed to what I feel at one point maybe was more about resting on its laurels. I feel, I feel it really is a a program in motion right now.
1: Well, after producing nature's most nearly perfect food, what else do you need to worry about?
0: (laughs) Exactly. You'd think that was good enough, but what we have learned is no, your best is not good enough, folks. You have got to do more. And we have, we have a lot we can do. We're dairy farmers. We, We are more than capable of outshining others just by, by being ourselves if we really work at it. It's a win-win, I think.
1: You've mentioned the uh, one foot in the field and one foot on the pavement. We we hear, and I'm sure you hear, perhaps more than I, sometimes frustrations from dairy producers uh, with consumers who don't understand or uh, maybe don't respond, don't appreciate. How do you assess the situation based on all of your experience here and, and how do you help your neighbors, your farmer neighbors, kind of understand the, the dynamics of today's consumer?
0: You know, it's interesting because um, I spent a lot of time working behind the parts counter and selling equipment to farmers between high school and, and you know, after marriage. So I I get the struggle. <laughs> I get the struggle of trying to be, to try, of being on the opposite side. And I sometimes feel that when when I hear some farmers complaining about how consumers don't trust them or consumers don't understand what it takes. I, I feel like it's just that parts counter, but it's just so much longer. Like, you know, it's like, it's, it's just such a wider counter. And, and, and sometimes it's, it's understandable. Sometimes I get it. It, it, it does. It feels so wrong when someone who doesn't know you, who hasn't walked a step in your shoes, let alone the, the path that you've taken you feel that they are telling you you are not good at what you do or that what you were doing is wrong. I get that frustration. On the other hand, these are our customers and we cannot do it without them. They are the reason we have our jobs. We get to have our dream job, our way of life. We talk about all the time, but it's the way we make our living. And so few people get to choose that. They, you know, they, they have to find a job they're willing to take um, and we have we, we have the benefit of, of living our dreams out and I sometimes struggle I sometimes I sometimes take the insults and the personally because I'm that person I, I'm not that born and raised on the farm person so I sometimes feel that they're talking about me um, I, and it's tough you have to just remember to step back and not take it personally and evaluate it and and I think one of the most important things that I try and tell my neighbors and my peers, and I try and communicate it. I don't know how how good I am at it or how effective I am or how, how well I do at it. But it's to just remind people that at the end of the day, if the discussion is about there's more choices and there's more food for people to choose from, then we're not losing Nobody's losing. That's the whole point. You know, if it's if there's a problem with there being other products in the dairy case at the store, like, that's not a bad thing. It's it's more food for people to choose. We live in a land of plenty. What we should be focusing on is not who's allowed in the dairy case, but how do we get it so that more people in our communities and our nation and our society can afford and access the food that we're making. And I think when we start worrying about those things more, we will have much better discussions. And in the meantime, we, we, have to, we have to step back and look at these things from 30,000 feet. We can't get upset with someone for having an opinion different than ours. We have to understand their experience is different, their opinion is different, their, where they're coming from is different. And we can't berate them for their strongly held beliefs their, their first person experiences, or their lack of experiences. And, you know, one of the biggest examples I tell people is you don't know what commitment is until you've decided to buy a two-pound brick of cabbage cheese and a gallon of milk in the middle of New York City and get it home on a bus and a subway in the rain and then up eight floors to your walk-up and try and fit it into your fridge. That is true commitment. And if people are willing to do that, they, they must trust us. They must like us a lot. We just have to make sure that we find a possibly a better way for them to get those, that cheese and milk home and make it easier on them.
1: That's a great anecdote or example of commitment. As we begin to wrap up here a little bit, again, from your perspective as a producer, uh, an active co-op member, and in your leadership role, as you look down the road a little bit, where where do you think we're headed with, with telling that dairy story and, and reaching consumers uh, and the next generation of consumers?
0: I think that one of the most important things we have to do is we, as an industry, as a dairy community, as dairy farmers, we have to recognize, appreciate, and truly value the 98% of the people who aren't us. And we have to recognize how different their lives can be from us, and we have to not only know about it and understand that their lives are different, but we have to value that difference. And then we have to convey to them and communicate to them that we, we support it. And we, we're here for that. Um, and we have to find a way to make sure that those of us involved in dairy farming show that diversity and that, those differences too. I mean, we, we're one of the only industries that has a waiting line of people who just are banging on the door and want to come in. And and we have to find a way to make sure that we have a stable, sustainable system that is flourishing enough that, that we are letting people in and we are letting everybody and anyone in and we are welcoming to that. And I think one of the ways we can get to that is to make sure that the people we depend upon to purchase our products and trust us to take care of our land and take care of our animals and take care of our employees and our workforce and take care of our families to make sure they understand that we value what's important to them and to make sure they understand that. I, I mean, I don't. I know a lot of people think that, you know, we shouldn't have to be political or we shouldn't be trendy, but valuing people for who they are and understanding them and accepting them for who they are and, and letting go of the way we used to think and letting go of the old Old chains that used to hold us back is is not honoring anything. It is it's keeping us back and holding us down. And and if we want them to trust us, we we have to let them see that that we are trusting of them. And I don't I don't know exactly how to do it. I have a couple ideas, but I think it's important. We we need a lot of change. Um, and it doesn't mean that we've done it wrong. It just means that we we can do it so much better. And I really feel that. But if anybody can, it is it is our dairy community.
1: Well, that's a a great thought as we as we finish up here, Jenny. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that from the heart uh, and your head. Once again, it's been an enjoyable conversation.
0: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you um, taking the time to talk with me. I'm I'm not the normal run of the mill dairy farmer. I I think I represent a, a lot of our dairy industry. You know, people who are who are half there and and have somewhere else all the time. I mean, we're, we're all struggling to to make it work, but this is just, it's been a really great great experience being able to meet you and talk with you and, and share a little bit of, of how it is to, to be me.
1: Well, Jenny, thank you very much. Uh, we've been speaking today with Jenny Tilton Flood, a dairy farmer in the state of Maine, active with her co-op and active in, in dairy promotion activities, as well as in her community. Jenny, thanks for being with us.
0: Thank you so much. Have a great day.
1: This is Joel Hastings, your host at Dairy Voice. You can find us on all your podcast sites uh, as well as at dairybusiness.com.